This week on the latest episode of The Big Show, we lost a living legend this week when Richard Roundtree transitioned earlier this week at the age of 81. The first black action hero, Roundtree's performance as the detective John Schaff in the 1971 classic established a baseline for all who came after him. We'll discuss his legacy and the man himself. Plus, the Middleburg Film Festival wrapped, and we'll recap all the weekend's festivities. Also, there are plenty of new projects to discuss in theaters this weekend, and we'll review, finally, Killers of the Flower Moon, <laughs> long story, Five Nights at Freddy's, Priscilla, and Pain Hustlers. We'll have all that and more on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Peace, brother. That's a sex machine to all the chicks. Shut! Damn right. Who, if 
is the man that would risk his neck for his brother, man. Chef! Can you dig it? Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about? Chef! Right on. You say this cat is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Chef. Then we can dig it. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. John Chef. Hey, what's happening, buddy? Same old uh, sixes and sevens, Chef. Two guys looking for you like ten minutes ago. Harlem Cats? How in the hell should I know? Everybody looks the same to me. Take it easy, buddy. Take care, Chef. Yes, and welcome to the latest episode of The Big Show. Wow. Man, I'm telling I could hear that song, Charles, over and over, and I have the same reaction every time. Just puts a big smile on my face, man. <laughs> you, you strut a little bit. You, you, you stick oh your chest God, out. Oh, my God, man. Isaac Hayes, man. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a soundtrack. So I know people at home listening are going, why did they play what is going the on? opening of Shaft? Why right? did you do that, Tim? Well, I, there's a really good reason why. It's because, let me give you a little background. Richard Roundtree uh, had been a professional actor since 1963. He started acting when he was 20, 20, 21 years old, right? He had done a bunch of different commercials and some spots. But this was his debut as a leading man. And what he did is Charles Kirkland is drinking water that we can hear on the show. What he did was make history, which, which Jessica, I'm trying to figure this out. We don't have Shane today. We have Jessica Jessica, why would Charles wait till we literally won the air when we had five minutes of, of shaft in order to drink? It just, wow. Anyway, but I was, I was going back to the reason we played that is because Richard Roundtree, as I said in the opening, was the first black action hero. And in that five-minute opening, you learn all you need to know about who John Shaft, Detective John Shaft is. You know, he comes out, he's fashionable, he's got the long leather maxi on. It's New York, January 1971. It's pretty cold. Yeah. As you can see, but, everybody's blowing. <sighs> but. <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he, he's flipping, he's, he's flipping people off. He, he you know, he, he sees the blind uh, newspaper dude. These Harlem cats looking for you, Shad. Well, what they look like? How the hell did I know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love, but but it's such a great introduction scene for for Richard Roundtree. Um, it changed everything, man. I mean, I was I was a little kid. I would tell you how old I am, but then you start dating me. But I was a, I was a young kid. And we were blown away. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. Car- carbon dating you. 
That's we no, but, but, anyway. but Charles, listen, You're nobody right. had ever seen mm-hmm. a black man with that kind of attitude. Not a swagger. I mean, oh. it was just amazing. Before, before we even called I mean, it swagger. Yeah, it was like... My wow. God, Richard Roundtree, what, uh, you know, he was a model discovered by, um, I forget, uh, I think it was Bob Johnson, not Bob Johnson, but the Ebony Jet, uh, his wife discovered him, Eunice Johnson discovered him mm. and, and put him in the Ebony Fashion Fair in the, in the mid-60s. But Richard Roundtree, man, um, as I shared with Charles, if you go through his filmography, Nothing he did after that. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying, no, I'm not saying that to be funny or disrespectful. It, it, it's going to come across as funny, but... It, it, but, it, but I'm it, saying, none of none of his later roles would have the impact of what Shaft represented, not just to, to, to black men, but to the culture. Right. Shaft, Shaft is such an iconic character that they keep making Shafts. I think the most recent Shaft was 2019. I want to say it was Maybe. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, something like that. So they keep on, they keep on trying to replicate what Gordon Parks, Isaac Hayes, and Richard Roundtree, because those are the three biggest influences of what Shaft became, right? Right. Now, the original book, Charles, for people at home who are listening and may not have known, the original book was written by a white man named Ernest Tidyman. Tidyman. Yeah. Ernest Tidyman was a white guy. And he wrote the book in the 60s because during that time, everybody had these kind of detectives, right? So, you know, if you think back to the 40s with uh, the Maltese Falcon, Philip uh, Marlowe, Philip Marlowe yeah. right? You think to the 1960s where you had um, Paul Newman playing Harper. Um, and I remember or, Harper from or, 1966. Uh, Frank Sinatra from from, uh, Chinatown. Uh, Right. That would come afterwards. But Frank Sinatra doing Tony Rome, you know, these these kind of sexy private eyes who get the cool woman. They (laughs) solve the case. So all of a sudden, Tidyman comes along and Gordon Parks is casting for this film. And he understands in reading the screenplay that it would be cool to see to give audiences a black guy who could be. Uh, you know, this cool detective. And he made two decisions that I think changed the course of everything, right? First of all, he changed the character from a white guy to a black guy and cast Richard Roundtree. Right. But the most important decision was finding a composer based out of Memphis who he wanted to create the iconic sound of what the film would be. A gentleman by the name of Isaac Hayes. Isaac Oh, my God. Freaking haze. Oh, my God. I, let me tell you something. Charles and I talk a lot about this show, uh, especially on Thursdays when we start kicking around ideas before we come in here and give them to you. And I was sharing with Charles today that there is a reason that the two most identifiable, identifiable. You know, two, identifiable and most beloved films of the 1970s came out two years apart. They came out a year apart from each other. 1971 and 72 and, and is Shaft with Superfly and Superfly by Curtis Mayfield. And there's a reason because in the case of the films, I think personally, if, if you if you <laughs> held a gun to my head, Shaft is the better movie. But the better soundtrack might be Curtis Mayfield's. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's I, yeah. saying a lot because I love Isaac Hayes. I love Isaac Hayes, but, but <laughs> Curtis Mayfield soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Freddie's yeah. dead. A yeah. super fly. Woo. Think. 
See, see, you don't think about think in the mix. You know what think is? Think is the love theme inside. No, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. Give me your love, me your love. is the love theme. But think is the scene where, where Priest and Sheila Frazier right. are walking through the park, and they just staring their head, and he's like, yeah, baby, I'm going to get out the game. <laughs> It's, it's, man, I'm t- see, I'm a movie nerd, so I, I talk to people when they talk about man. I'm a tech, I'm a techie, like I'm a movie guy, right? So you talk to me, I got all kind of movie scenes swirling in my head. But I say all that to say we'll revisit that another day. But the work of Gordon Parks, uh, his direction, Gordon Parks, for a lot of people at home, including Jessica, who's sitting in here, because you know I always like talking to the babies. The babies just need to be educated, right? Gordon Parks was an iconic photographer years before he directed yeah, a movie. Yeah. You know, Life magazine, you know, the famous uh, American Gothic shot that he did with the black woman with the mop and all these shots of he, you know, he working yeah, with the... Yeah. yeah, I mean, so Gordon Parks already is iconic as a photographer long before he becomes a film director, right? His, his v- vision is impeccable. Absolutely. Impeccable. His, he made his debut uh, in 1969 with a movie called The Learning Tree. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, uh, you're welcome. You'll watch that and be <laughs> please, like, please. what is The Learning Tree? Just put it on. But then he comes back two years later in, you know, a, a perfect, uh, the, the symbiotic nature of 1971, right? I was talking to Charles about this this morning. In 1971, baby Jessica, since I know you weren't around, uh, Shaft comes out, 1971. Also in 1971, was Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song by Melvin Van Peoples. I really censored by you saying that, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, what did I say, it. Badass? Yeah, okay. yeah, whatever. And then last but not least in 1971, because I know baby Jessica doesn't know this one, Gil Scott Heron, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Mm. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution that will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be a rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. You know, many what people, a time to be alive in 1971. Credit, many many people credit credit Gil Scott Heron as being the first rapper. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and by the way, if you've never heard. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> go put on the revolution will not be televised. Uh, young baby Jessica, you can learn something in here. Just keep listening to the show. So she, I say you're all that to keep say, messing with Jessica. She's gonna pull our audios. Leave her alone. Jessica, Jessica and Shane are babies. They need to learn what we veterans can teach you about this game. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about <laughs> let's talk some more about the genius of Richard Roundtree. Um, you know, as you can as, Charles, you can look at it and read there, man. Uh that film played a crucial part in the development of African-American advancement in Hollywood. Uh, I just finished naming. It was very important because at that time, despite the fact that all the other creators were white, the, the director, star, and composer were all black. Were all black. And whoever did the fashion, my God, man. <laughs> I think he kind of buried the lead in that Shaft was originally white. 
That's what I said. I said that. I already. mean, you said that, but I think that. But the, the, but, the, but the white guy didn't have all that swag. <laughs> the white and the white guy wouldn't have got uh, Isaac Hayes talking about. No, no. You know who's the, who's? <laughs> <laughs> never mind. I'm not gonna say. <laughs> Who, who's the? Never mind. Look, can you imagine having Dean Martin sing? Southeast. Who, who is the man? <laughs> oh my God! But but you put all those things together, and then let's let's. You talk about burying the lead. The important part of the lead is there were two movies by black directors that came out in 1971. Wait for it. That literally saved two studios from bankruptcy. I don't think you heard me. I'm going to say that one more time. The studio, MGM, which released this film, was literally about to go bankrupt. They spent, I think the budget for this was $500,000. And then I think they put a, they hired uh, Uniworld to do the marketing, a black company, to market the film. And that was another $500,000. The film made $10.8 million in its first year. Mm. Which, which, again... Doesn't sound like a lot of money right now. But think about 50 years ago, if your movie made $10 million. $10 million. I mean. That's a lot of money. Yeah. $50 million. I mean, I don't know. You, you, got, you got internet right there in Google. Google Google the value of $10, $10 million in 1971 and what that would be worth today. Because that, that movie and the other movie that did that the same year was Sweet Sweetback. Did the exact same thing and got its studio out of bankruptcy. Sweet Sweetback made that much? Sweet <laughs> Sweet Sweetback was a movie that Huey Newton saw, and they went and got the entire Black Panther Party to endorse that movie, and that movie became a cult classic. Oh, yes, it did that much. What is $10 million worth now? Well, see, now it went backwards. I needed to go forwards. Oh, my God. But anyway, Charles, as Charles looks for the answer, man, that is quite significant, man, that that movie was so profitable that, of course, Ernest, Ernest Tidyman, Tidyman had some other movies. What'd you get? $97 million. Yeah. So, so you're telling me that's a $100 million it's movie $100 now. Million dollar movie now, you now. do know now a $100 million movie is still significant. True. So you're telling me. That in 2023 dollars, that literally was a hundred million dollar movie. Right, Jessica, it was a hundred million dollar movie. Think of it that way. That movie was so profitable it got MGM out of bankruptcy. Amazing. <laughs> That's a word for it. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> really, ninety-seven million. Yep. Yeah, that's huge. That is absolutely huge, man. So there's a lot of information here, man, about Park's decision. You look there, Charles, to the cast Roundtree rather than a white guy. Um, there are a lot of people who still complained because, you know, I was reading through all of this today that um, to some critics, it still came across as a as a black dude playing a white dude. Because they were saying that black people during that time didn't dress like the fashions, like nobody was walking around with the coats. I mean, you got to give it to them, man. I don't know who did the costumes, if if that was Roundtree's own personal collection. Brother was fly the whole movie. Nice. And at the end with that fly black, the black ensemble, the black leather. And the, <laughs> bruh. Look, I, you mentioned it as we were watching the clip. 
But there was just something about Roundtree. Even I mean, even decked out the way he was. The, his his interpretation. His interpretation of the character, of yeah, the character, just, of the character is that he he I guess. I, I'm assuming that Gordon Parks let him listen to the soundtrack before they made the film. You think so? Oh, I, I would think so. <laughs> and he and, and it almost is it's almost as if he played the character just like Isaac Hayes wrote it up. Yeah. Like, you know, who is the man who would risk his neck for a brother man? You know, he's a he's a sexy black chick. To all, I mean, like a, a sexy private dick to all the chicks. I mean, he is. He's shy. He played him. He played him that way with this kind of. There's not a scene in Shaft where Richard Roundtree ever acquiesces to the man, and even when he does acquiesce <laughs> to the man, he has a comeback a little later on to let you know that, that I still got the upper hand. Yeah, here. he's <laughs> not, he's he, he, and 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 that was the other thing that I don't think we'd ever seen before. In any of these movies, man. And it was, it was such a radical change. And it also launched an entire genre of movies. Yeah. It, along with Sweetback, launched what, and I, and I always feel bad even using this phrase, the black exploitation, because I remember interviewing Ryan O'Neill, who played Superfly, like maybe back in the 90s. And he was bothered by that. He didn't, I mean, to be perfectly honest, he, his explanation always stuck with me. And he was like, how are we being exploited? More of us are working. We weren't being exploited. So what happened is that these movies or these archetypes became so popular that every studio wanted to have one, which is why you got like a black version of Dracula, which became Blackula. And, yeah. and of course, The Exorcist, you got Abby. And, you know, you, and there's a bunch of other these movies that I like. I tease you all the time. The, the, the Candy Tangerine Man. I mean, we just started to get ridiculous, <laughs> man. It's like, stop it. Truck Turner and Three the Hard Way. And it was always about well, I, the man think, trying the to hold us back. But the community wants to get together. We got to stop the drugs. Foxy Brown, coffee. You know, all these movies. I think the, the term came up toward the end of the, when you started having the ridiculous movies. Yeah. But I don't think when Shaft came out that they automatically said, oh, black exploitation, no. But I think it was more of, they lumped everything into that one genre after you started having these crazy um Ex- exploitative of the community movies. Uh, one final point to make about uh, the films of the 1970s. Uh, you notice we talked about getting a black director, a black star, and some superstar to do a soundtrack, right? Right. So after that happened, of course, oh, uh, they were like, oh, that's a good idea. We're waiting it this works. movie about this it drug works. dealer. Uh, <laughs> Curtis Mayfield, we need to hire you. I want you to do Superfly, right? So then after that, there's uh, Hell Up in Harlem. James, James Brown, Brown comes in in 1973. Then there's this god-awful movie. And if, if, if you don't believe me, the only reason why this movie is memorable at all is because Marvin Gaye did his only soundtrack Trouble was Man. Trouble Man. <laughs> Trouble Man is a terrible movie. Yeah. The, the, the album or the soundtrack Seminal. is way Seminal. better than the movie. Jessica, way better than the movie. You know, for a long time, I didn't know there was a movie Trouble Man. <laughs> <laughs> and you should have kept it that way. You know, you want to hear a funny story? Years ago, I got hired at, by Morgan State. They were promoting a film festival, and they wanted me to come in and program some films. And I don't know, maybe it was some anniversary. I was like, we can show Trouble Man. And soundtrack, great. People love the Marvin Gaye part. I remember them trying to sit through the movie, and I was like... <laughs> 
Yeah, this is not good. Yeah. So yeah, no, man. Not, so that was not. that was the thing, man. Back in the seventies, man, and 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 it, it would last up until eighty four when Purple Rain came out, which you would finally have another good soundtrack. Mayfield made like three in the seventies, so nobody had more bomb soundtracks than Curtis Mayfield. He did uh, Superfly, Claudine, oh yeah, and then Sparkle, giving them something they could I feel. Forgot, I forgot about Claudine. See y'all. See y'all don't know. See y'all be sleeping on my seventiesness on these films. Now let's talk about this. Okay, uh, let's talk about Roundtree. Though th- th- there's a reason why that they could have like five, six remakes and sequels to Shaft. But how many Superflies did they make, and should they have? Well, they they <laughs> updated Superfly for Jessica's generation back in 2018. And I sat there and watched it, and 20 minutes into it, I was like, sometimes there's just some stuff you need to leave it alone. You it, know, having your boy from 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 Grownish with a perm <laughs> was a terrible idea. I, I I don't know. In Atlanta, you know, oh, my God, it was a terrible idea for a movie. So leave it alone. Matter of fact, them doing a version of Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson, Richard Roundtree, and— um, Jesse Usher. Yeah, that was a horrible idea, too. Wasn't that directed by John Singleton? No. Was it? Yeah, it was. Was it? And guess what? I think you're John, right. John, I love you. You are, I, I hope you are rested in right power and hanging out with Richard Roundtree. But, sir, not a good adaptation of it. As a matter of fact, they took out one of the elements that made Shaft Shaft was his sexuality. Yeah. I he, mean, was like a, he was like a neutered Shaft. In, in back in 2000. It was just a horrible... I, I, and I know people Guess sometimes what? are Guess like... What? I know they you, had you home going... Incorrect. Well, you, who, who directed it? Your, your, your boy Tim Story did that. Did Tim Story direct Shaft? Tim Story directed Shaft. Wow. The one, the one we're talking about with Jesse T. Usher? Yeah, that was Tim Story. See, Charles Charles knows. That's why he <laughs> called him my boy, because, you know, I'm never going to say this pri- I mean, publicly. Cause I'm you not, get ready to. I, I'm not keeping it real right now because I don't want to get in trouble. But can- Charles, but Charles, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Jessica, that's what I'm talking about. Jessica doesn't even know. We'll fill you in later on because Tim, <laughs> Tim has a thesis and you just proved my thesis right. Yeah. Yeah, Tim Story. Before you, <laughs> you know what we need to do. I need to bring Tim Story on because there's a great scene in uh, Black AF that's on Netflix. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. Kenya Barris show, show where he where like he has a Jessica. He has, where he has a round table. Of where he all has a these Zoom directors. call and it's like Ava DuVernay, Tim Story. Uh, what's my boy's name who does the ride along movies? Uh, oh. Uh, Will Packer. It's a bunch of them yeah. all on a call. And Kenya well, Barris. Tim Story does. Tim Story Tim is on Story there too. does write them all. Oh, I'm sorry. Tim Story. But Will Packer's on it too. So they're all poking each He's all poking, poking people about other. these movies. <laughs> and there's a line that Kenya Barris says about Tim Story. And I went, oh, it's not just me. Oh, other people see it too. And you know what Tim Story says? What? Oh, all my movies make. They make $100 million. $100 million, baby. Shaft didn't make $100 million. <laughs> I bet it did. I bet the it Shaft, did. The, the 20, look it up. I'm going to look it, it up. It did not make $100 million. Well, if it is, I will eat this hat. <laughs> you don't have a hat only, on Only if I have some seasoning. <laughs> but anyway, I say all that to say, man, Richard Roundtree, 
performance is, is uh, Detective John Schaff in the 1971 film is is going to that performance will outlive him and, and what it means to people like myself and and to what it established as a black action hero. You look at Wesley Snipes who comes along 20 years later. Did that make a hundred million dollars? No. Oh, I was ready to say. <laughs> it didn't even make budget. <laughs> I rest my case. So I was saying, do you think about Wesley Snipes? You think about any black action hero, y'all all are doing John Jaff. Yeah. Pretty much. And Samuel L. Sam Jackson even said when he was making Shaft, I'm doing Richard Roundtree. That's who I'm doing. So when, when you see Nick Fury, that's Shaft. That's Shaft. That's Shaft. Pretty did much. You, did you realize that? Yeah. You know who Nick Fury is, right? You know, black guy. Long leather coat on, looks like Shaft. Shaft doesn't have an eye patch. He doesn't have an eye patch. But, but, but the attitude, the swagger, the com- swag- yeah, all that's that. Shaft. That's Shaft in the MCU, pretty much. Pretty much. So uh, I'll just say this. Uh, I just want to read one more thing before we get out of here because we're almost like thirty minutes into the show and we've just been way too long loving on. No, it's no, no, way it's not long. way too long, bro. Yeah, well, okay. This is this is Richard Roundtree, who is a seminal figure to all of us. I'll just read this, man. This is what I wrote. Um, boop, 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 boop. Really? Well, You're not going to be able well, to find why, your well, own? While you looking this up, I'm going to say this, re- reiterate the fact. John Singleton had, I mean, John Singleton, Richard Roundtree has 162 credits of act, acting wow. credits and three that are still to be released. And none of them are Shaft. No, not one. O- only one is Shaft. Yeah. And, and guess what? It's the it's the one that makes the most difference. Yeah. So this is what I wrote uh, upon getting the news of his his passing. While I never had the opportunity to meet Richard Roundtree, his emergence in Shaft was a game changer. At a time when there were few black action stars, Roundtree's role was vitally important to a group of impressionable young black teens. While many of his other roles didn't have the impact of his iconic one. Roundtree will always be a bad mother, shut your mouth, to me and my generation. Rest well, Mr. Roundtree, and know that you left the world a better place than you found it. Rest Mm. in power, paradise, to Richard Roundtree, who passed at the age of 81. God, we love that man, man, for what he represented. And that's why I had to watch that film again this morning, man. I was like, my God, what a good film Shaft is. Very enjoyable film. Don't, All right, Charles. Don't go. forget to watch Shaft's big score and Shaft in Africa, too. Those, those are. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, just, you know, that's like saying, don't forget to watch Godfather 3. Nah, I was good after 2. all righty so now what else do we have left coming up man uh we talked about richard roundtree we were in middleburg uh earlier this week as evidence of the amazing uh sweater that i'm wearing right now and uh charles left his home so he would have worn his today but uh we (laughs) we have an entire weekend in middleburg (laughs) let me just give a look to everyone out there yeah right so we had uh four days in middleburg 
I got sick when I got back because uh, there was a— should have gotten sick. There was a human Petri dish that have, was out there. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have enough sense to stay away from the Petri dish. Jessica, there was a, there was a person that was out there who is the spreader of germs. Patient and zero. <laughs> patient zero got me and Travis Hobson. We both went down for several days after getting back from Middleburg. How'd you escape? Yo, whenever he came, I moved. That's exactly what he came and sat down one time, like as close as you are to me. And I was like, I'm out. Adios. I'm going to go sit over there. Oh, man. Also, while we were in Middleburg, um, I got the chance again. Charles declined the interview to interview Cord Jefferson. For I'm, <laughs> I'm messing with Charles. <laughs> this revisionist history that's going on here. Charles, Charles turned down the interview. I had to go solo. <laughs> but no, no. <laughs> but but no, what played. really happened was we were supposed to do the interview together, <clears throat> get there to do it, mm. and the the rep goes, um, we're only gonna take Tim. <laughs> and I was heartbroken by it. I fought for Charles. I almost told her I wasn't going in there. And then Court Jefferson was like, what's up, Tim? I was like, hey, Charles, I'll be back. <laughs> I don't fault him for that. I don't fault him for that. No. But there is still some revisionist history in that this story is, you're this telling. Is, this, is, this is the fun of the show, man. Like, Charles. Oh, man. Actually, Jessica, I'll backtrack before we finish this. We were in Toronto, Charles and I. And I never forget this. I was oh talking my to Charles. God. We were we were waiting to see Rustin. Right? Have we already told this story? Before? No, okay, but but Jessica wasn't here. She got to hear this. So as we're sitting there, I'm like, Hey, Charles, I've been doing this for three decades, man. You know, you you are building up. You got to work your way up, man. These are the opportunities that you got. So is that is that that's, all right? That's exactly right. That's so as exactly soon as right. I said that, Chaz Ebert walked in. Now from I, Ebert.com. I, I, let me finish. I'm setting it up from Ebert.com, and I go. Hey, Chaz, what's up? And she goes, hey, Tim. I'm like, what's going on, Chaz? You good? I said, I, I, I saw you. I thought that was you. Remember that? I yep, said, I thought yep, that was you. Yep, yep. She goes, oh, man. We, what did she tell me? She said, um, you know, that, she said she, we, we see, exchanged. See, that's why I need to tell but the story. Cause, cause but you, wait a minute. You, then, she, then I said, hey, Charles got him. Charles was like, what's up, Chaz? Chaz was like, hey, Charles. See, that's not what happened? That's not what happened. Go ahead. You tell the story. So we're sitting together, and she uh, sees Tim. She says, hey, she sees me. And she because I've written for her her mm-hmm. website, she goes, hey, I loved your article. You can write for me anytime. Send me, some, send me whenever you have. And guess what? I was like, oh, my God. Charles is going to be doing some work on, on, on Ebert.com. Right. And so, RogerEber.com, yes. And so immediately after she says that, she turns back to Tim and says, and you need to come to the Ebert Fest. <laughs> <laughs> you need to come on up there. I'm like, and I looked at Charles, I was like, see what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is the fun of doing all of this stuff. But I say all that to say, Middleburg was an interesting experience this weekend. It was interesting because Patient Zero took me out. But the other the other part was that uh, it got cold, and that air out in Middleburg is different from that air down here, man. I needed to have a different coat that nobody schooled me on. Uh, we had our Talk Back to the Critics panel on Sunday. Sure did, sure who did. Had, who got top billing on the panel? Uh, I think that was Travis Hobson. No? Was it? No? You want me to show you the picture? <laughs> 
yours truly got top billing. I know, I know. And, and Tim I said Gordon. that, and I said that. I only bring that up because Travis is like you. He's a big <laughs> hater. I was like, top billing, baby. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> but it was a good panel, man. They didn't give me a microphone. Uh, smart. And and we had um chairs that were different from what we normally would sit true, in. True, true. Which I was in my feelings. I was like, everybody else got plush chairs. How come I'm sitting on, on a movie chair? Why am I sitting on a movie chair doing a panel? Because you're a movie guy. Whatever, man. But yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun sitting this year. Hard director chairs. What was your, what was your uh, takeaway from Middleburg this year? The films, the films were the films. They're always going to be the films. The films were the films. Uh, the experience is the experience. I, I enjoyed running into uh, Chris Bowers, sitting down and talk with him. You mean every year Chris? Every year Chris. <laughs> him and his parents? And this year I got to sit, I actually got to spend more time with him and we talked about, you know, the effect of music, which was ironic. And now we're talking about Isaac Hayes and the effect of mu- music in movies. Pretty much. Um, but uh, Middleburg is always a, a wonderful experience, even though I don't experience it the same way as most people do, as many people do, what as, are you talking about? as Tim Gordon does. Man, you expect Jessica has never been to Middleburg. Okay. Jessica does not have the access to the parties you got to. She didn't go to the after party and have Ben Chili Bowl half smokes Man. and Coca Cola root beer floats. So yeah, Jessica Middleburg, didn't get that. Middleburg brought on two new sponsors this year: uh, Ben's Chili you know Bowl. What I'm saying, you sit over here complaining and, about a, a, a sweater and all that food you consumed that look, was free. I, I, I stand by my statement. My experience at Middleburg is not the same as most people because there's a lot of people who didn't get into that. There you go. And that's so my point. It. It's not the same as yours because I didn't get all the swag. Oh, my God, man. And let's not think that the sweater is the only thing that he got. What are you talking about? Yeah, okay. What are you talking about? Okay. What Charles is referring to. <laughs> Jessica, look, what Charles is referring to for the first time since it was year 11, all the swag I've accumulated over the years, <laughs> I made sure to wear a piece of it every, every day. At I was least at one, maybe two pieces a day. <laughs> I, had the, I had the fleece on. I was like, what's up? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, if you're listening, a uh, special shout out to the host of the weekend, Sheila Johnson. Uh, we bought her book. Charles, you got to buy her book. <laughs> I want to buy she, her she book. She autographed the book for me and Travis. I just had so much movie time. I didn't have a time to sit down with her and get her sign my book. Uh, peace to Susan Koch as well. So and to and get well soon to Beth Erickson, our friend, oh, who literally broke her arm on the way to our talk back. For talk the back. Literally fell down and shattered her elbow. So she had surgery early this week. It's my fault. It's you should have tried. Never mind. It's not Charles's <laughs> fault. But Jessica, if if you see a, if you see Jessica walking down the street, and you can give Jessica a ride, would you give Jessica a ride? I would give Jessica a ride. And what if Jessica said no and then fell down and broke her body? I would feel I, f- I would feel responsible. That's what happened. That's what Charles did. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what I happened. Didn't, I didn't push her down. Let's not, let's not think that I pushed her down and made her fall. But if you would have given her I a feel ride, like if I had given her a ride, she, she'd be, she wouldn't have her arm in the sling. So she would have to take the ride, though. She would have to take the ride. Jessica would have to take the generosity. If Jessica doesn't take the generosity wow. and breaks the body part, then that's on wow. her, not you. You know there's a, there's a sermon in there. I, I, I'm seeing it. I hear it right now. All right. I might have to I might have to preach on Sunday. All right. So all in all, man, the Middleburg Film Festival was an amazing <laughs> thing. And now we are going to flip the script. 
switch gears. And now it is time to review some movies. Uh, up first for us this week, um, whenever you hear me going, um, that means that we're trying to get there, is uh, a film I saw at Middleburg that's in theaters this weekend. Uh, and that film is Priscilla. Did you Whoa. get a chance to see this one? I had a chance to see it. And guess what? I turned it down. You, sir, have chosen wisely. <laughs> uh, when teenage Priscilla... I don't know how you say Meets Elvis Presley, the man who's already a meteoric rock and roll superstar and becomes someone entirely unexpected in private moments, a thrilling crush, an ally in loneliness, and a vulnerable best friend in Priscilla. The film is a bio, a bio drama written and directed and co-produced by Sofia Coppola based on the 1985 memoir Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley, who also executive, serves as the executive producer on the film, and Sandra Harmon, uh, Kaylee Spaney, and, J- and, Jaco- and Jacob Elordi star as Priscilla and Elvis. Now, Jacob Elordi was also in what film that we watched? Saltburn. Saltburn. There you go. Stop drinking, please, because you don't know how to drink silent, man. Just, just an embarrassment. All right, so let's get into this one, man. I'm, so, I'm glad your watch isn't beeping. Thank you. Uh, let's get into this one, man. I went into this film with advance info from two critics that I respect, mm-hmm. Anne Hornaday mm-hmm. of the Washington Post mm-hmm. and Travis Hobson, who basically both said... One told me it was the most boring experience they had, and the other one was like, good luck with good that. Good luck with that. No, no. Good luck with that. Good luck it's with like, that. Isn't how you say it. Like, hey, Jessica, you going to such and such tonight? She goes, yeah. And I go, good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's not positive. And so, guess what? They were right. That's why I didn't go. <laughs> I, walked, I walked into this movie, and what I discovered was a story that the easiest way to say it is, Elvis is bad, and he keeps me trapped in a room, and I'm a hostage, and he's a pedophile. That's pretty much what the movie was about. He meets a 14. He meets her when she was 13, but they get together when he's when she's 14. Yeah. Now, the movie smartly doesn't tell you how old Elvis was, but when you can just go and do a little research yeah. and figure out that a 24-year-old man is taking up residence with a 14-year-old girl. Not exactly taking up residence. Well, no, no. He doesn't do anything with her until she turns 18. But the fact that they spend like 90% of the movie, and and, and in all transparency, I walked out after an hour because I couldn't take it. So the movie's dark, and I'm talking about dark in theme (laughs) and dark in lighting because they spend 80% the first hour of the two of them in a bedroom. They don't go out. They, with the exception of one trip to Vegas and one trip to L.A., the whole movie, for the most part, is in the bedroom in the with bedroom. the two of them just hanging out. Uh, hanging one, out. One, one legal guy, <laughs> stop it. One guy legal and the other one underage. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I know people, you know, one of my colleagues argued down, well, you know, that's all Sofia Coppola's movies. Well, guess what? This one didn't work for me, and it didn't work for a lot of other people. I can't really give the film a grade because I didn't take it all the way to completion. But I walked out. Remember that. (laughs) Just remember I walked out. 
Right. Not a good movie. And I don't walk out on a lot of movies. True that. That If I walk out your movie, something, there's something wrong with your yeah. movie. Yeah, because I've known you to I sit watched, some I stuff. I watched Saltburn and didn't walk out. And you should be glad that you didn't. Guess what? I can't wait. I, I hope Jessica is here the, the week we review Saltburn. Saltburn <laughs> might be... Look, one I, of the most divisive I'm movies of say, 2023. I think I think Saltburn was really good. Yeah. After I had to now you, have to, you have to sit now, through now, now you have to get through it and think. I think I've said this on the show, and I'm gonna say it one more time. One of my favorite lines when I don't like something and I'm at a screening and I come out and they go, Hey Tim, what you think about that movie? And I go, I'm processing I'm processing it. Man. <laughs> I'm processing I, I, it means I, work I don't this. really want to tell you how 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 bad your movie is. Uh, but I just need to be nice about it. Now, in this case, I literally was processing because I liked the lion's share of what the movie was. There were just four or five things that I saw that I was like, why? What was the decision to do that with the character? And after thinking about it for about an hour or two, I came to a place where I was like, I think it's brilliant. But it is absolutely a film that we will have to review with a disclaimer because it is not going to be for everybody. Mm, yes, including our good friend Beth, who marched out of that movie. Yeah, quickly. I think. I think. Do you think most men, the most women, would walk out of that movie, or is it not gender specific? No, I'm just. I asking. think it's gender specific because no, I'm, I had to take that back. I think. Women will some. There's a lot of women that would storm out of that movie. Quickly. What about what about Jessica? Yeah, she no, she wouldn't even gotten to that scene. I don't think she would have even gotten to that scene. Well, I already know that my lady, nah. my lady, when she watches it, I know exactly what's gonna happen in my house. She She's gonna afraid. tell you to turn it off. She's gonna go. Man, I got to go. This is what you watching. But, what, what are you, but babe, we're doing this together. Mm-mm. I'm not watching that. Mm-mm. I got you. So that film we will be reviewing in about a month. It's called Saltburn uh, by, um, what's her name, who did uh, a promising? Emerald Fennell. Emerald Fennell. <laughs> Please be listening for that week. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Uh, up next, a troubled security guard who accepts a late, a nighttime job at an abandoned family entertainment center discovers its four animatronic mascots move and kill anyone that's still there after midnight in Five Nights at Freddy's. The film is a supernatural horror film directed by Emma Tamney, who co-wrote the screenplay with Scott Cawthon and Seth Cuddyback from a story from Cawthon, Chris Lee and Tyler McIntyre, uh, of course, produced by Blumhouse. Of course, you, you know what you're getting with that one. It's based on the video Dang. game franchise of the same name. Uh, the film stars Josh Hutcherson, Elizabeth Lull, Piper, Rubio, a bunch of people. Mary Stewart Matheson, I know, and yeah. Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Charles saw this amazing film. Talk I did. to us about, uh, give us a small, short review of Five Nights at Freddy. Five Nights at Freddy's, again, like you said, is based on the video game series. I believe there's like nine games in this series now. And my contention has always been a video game movie is is very hard to make well because there's usually so much uh, lore in, involved in a, a video game that you can't communicate it all effectively in a movie. And that's part of the problem with Five Nights at Freddy's. There, the, we, 
there's two levels here. You're expecting Five Nights at Freddy's as a horror game where you go in and you got to survive the night or you get killed or whatever. And so there's a lot of jump scares and all that kind of stuff. The movie is rated PG-13, so it really takes out a lot of the really big horror. Is like, it really? PG-13? It is PG-13. How do you make a PG-13 horror movie? <laughs> well, they did. It, because basically, I think they geared this for children to see. And it doesn't... I mean, and they had to cut a lot of the story in order to deliver the movie. And it just really didn't... There were times where it made leaps that you were expecting to... And and things that you just didn't understand why. For instance, the, the, the guy's name, the hero's name is Mike. And everywhere in the movie, they he introduces everybody gives their full name when they introduce themselves, and he says, "I'm Mike," or he gives his name as Mike, and you're waiting to see what his last name is, and you never get it, and you're like, "What is going on?" And they never explain why you never get Mike's last name or what the whole story is. Uh, So yeah, uh, there are times where they there's the movie can be scary. But it's not really because I'm too grown to be scared by this simple stuff. And it, and it just doesn't really work. Um, there were times that I liked it and there were times that I hated it. And so for that, I gave it a C as, and, and I pushed hard to give it a C because my son is sitting beside me. And he's loving every minute. I felt like how you feel when you go to the Marvel movies and Marvel movies are just like, uh, you're like, uh, what's going on? And people who love Marvel are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my son was like super excited because he understood all the lore mm-hmm. that wasn't explained in the film. So he enjoyed it, but it wasn't real. Anyone else, everyone else was like, it was okay. It was just okay. All right. So the first two movies, uh, as they call it, weak sauce on the streets. Both of these movies, bad. All right. Here we go. Let's see if the third time's a charm. High school dropout Liza Drake lands a job with a failing pharmaceutical startup in a yellowing strip mall in Central Florida, where she soon finds herself at the center of a criminal conspiracy with deadly consequences. Pain Hustlers is a crime drama directed by David Gates from a screenplay by Wells Tower and is based on the 2022 book of the same name by Evan Hughes. The film, of course, stars Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, Andy Garcia, Catherine O'Hara, Jay Duplass, Brian Darcy, James, and Chloe Coleman. And this is a Netflix movie that's dropping this weekend. Um, this film reminded me a lot of Dumb Money. Remember that yeah, film? Yeah. And both of them, ironically, played at TIFF. Because I remember when I, I they sent it, put it on my queue, I was like, didn't I see this? I said, this film sounds familiar. What is Oh, because it played at TIFF. It, t- it played at TIFF. So, so I was going to say, much didn't like, it play at Middleburg, too? No. No, I don't no, think Payne so. Hustlers played at Middleburg. But I was going to say, much like Dumb Money, which is based on a true story, this film also is about a true story. And you heard the description. Um, You know, uh, Emily Blunt is in a really bad place in her life. She's got a daughter that she's caring for who has some sort of medical condition. And, you know, she's she's really good at reading people. But when we meet her at the beginning of the movie, she's working 
as an exotic dancer in the strip club. <laughs> and yeah. by happenstance, one of our customers, she reads him and he decides to give her an opportunity because he's working at a pharmaceutical, a small pharmaceutical country company with a drug that they can't figure out what to do with. And she, he, she, uh, you know, kind of goes and applies for the job. <laughs> Next thing you know, he gives her a short leash. If you can do this or close this one doctor by this amount of time, then we'll bring you on. And boy, did she close that doctor, man. She she does something really, really smart. And the next thing you know, her and her boss, played by Captain America himself, Chris Evans, Chris Evans. They, this, this company's profits shoot through the roof, along with the guy that owns the company, uh, played by uh, Andy Garcia. Um, Pain Hustlers is based, as I said, on a true story of people making that, making millions of dollars on other people's pain. And there is some consequences that you see in the film. I'm not saying it's a great film, but I would give it a B minus or C plus. Emily Blunt is really, really good in it. It's wonderful to see Chris Evans stretch himself and do something really, really different from you know playing a sleazy character after we've seen him be upright and moral for so many years as <laughs> as Captain America. So I this one I would recommend more so than the first two films that we well, reviewed. He was kind week. of a sleazy character in The Great Man. Yeah, I, I, I flushed that out my mind. <laughs> I flushed, I like what are you talking about? <laughs> or my favorite question that I ask actors all the time is, have you ever been in a bad movie? That, you know, people walk up to you and go, I loved you in that movie. You go, what you talking about? I wasn't in that movie. But I'm looking right here. I don't know what you're talking about. So Chris Chris Evans might be like that about a gray man. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and let's go to our last movie before Jessica starts holding up place cards in the window. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Killers of the Flower Moon is an epic Western crime saga, which... All transparency, we were going to review last week, but technology let us down. Now, in this film... We actually reviewed it last week. We did not, <laughs> because... <laughs> never mind. Where real love crosses paths with unspeakable betrayal, based on the true story and told through the improbable romance of Ernest Burkhart, played by Leo DiCaprio, and Molly Kyle, played by soon-to-be Oscar nominee Lily Gladstone... Killers of the Flower Moon tracks the suspicious murders of members of the Osage Nation who became some of the richest people in the world overnight after oil was discovered underneath their land. Even before I get to that, what do you think? I see, I was about to say something Definitely real crazy. Give it away. What do you think the white man is gonna do when you got oil? That this this thing is coming. What what do you think is going to happen? Okay, first of all, see Tulsa. They're in, in, in nineteen twenty one. See, you know, come on, man. Okay, but but here's the funny thing. This movie. Wait a minute. Let me get to the. Let me ahead, ra- before ahead. you get go there. Ahead, go ahead. Kills of the Flower Moon stars Robert Nero. Jesse Plemons is directed by a, a, a Academy Award winner Martin Scorsese from Who? a screenplay. Who Martin Scorsese? Who's he? Never heard of him. See, this is why we can't get our reviews done on go time. Ahead, go Based ahead. on a book on David Grant's best-selling book, man. I'm gonna let you go first, man, because I have strong opinions about this movie. I think the movie is good, but I'm like, duh. 
That was I, like when I watched it, I the, was like, the, the, Duh. Funny, the funny part is they even reference t- Tulsa in the movie. Yes. I mean, they they literally show you what happened in Tulsa in in nineteen twenty one because it's a it's like in this happening in the same period of time. <laughs> Let me get my bottle. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's basically it's like okay, what do you think they're gonna do when they find out that you have all this uh, all this money, this money, this wealth, and you know they and can't, the, they can't, the they can't part, put their hands on it. No, I was gonna say in the other so part, they're gonna that figure was out hard. a way to do it. So I mean, I understand the, the story. The story is great, and uh, um, Martin Scorsese does a wonderful job in directing uh, uh, both DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone. Like, yeah. I, like you said, I think she really deserves a, a nomination. Um, but there are elements. And I and looking at the history of the film, I know the book is more of an FBI procedural, and that they and they changed the tone to make it like first person for Leo, and then they switch it to that procedural tone toward the end of the film, and I think that it loses some of its umph, um, some of their some of its directions, and and you know Scorsese is a wonderful director. He can assume assimilate a, ma- a massive cast of players, and he does in this film. But there are um, maybe one, maybe two people that show up in the film, and you're like, oh, why, why are you, why are you here, and what are you doing? So, oh my God, I can't believe you guys are, are fixating on that, man. This dude was in the movie for like five minutes, man. People are like, man, yeah, that's but- horrible. I'm like, dude, it was five minutes. Man. Yeah, but anyway, so you asked me for my opinion, and this is what it is. And so, uh, again, the movie is beautiful as it's presented. I think it was a little too long, which is saying something because it was three hours and 29 minutes shaved down from 340-something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still could have used some shaving. So I think at the best, I would give it a B. All right, uh, we got about two minutes to go. I'm just going to pretty much say that everything you said I would agree with. The only difference is, is I did not like the perspective being told by the whites when we're talking about a story about you killing the, the the Osage Nation folk, right? So I wanted to see more from their standpoint. And the fact that they were coddled and having to go ask permission from their from their white stakeholders about their money when it's their money, and then the fact that, you know, without spoiling it, that, you know, come on, man. But that's how it happened. I know that's how it happened, but my point is, is that, okay, here we go again. Just because a thing happened doesn't make it right, and I I can have an opinion about stuff that I know now after the fact, like, is Tulsa right because that's how it happened? No, but I mean, I think it would <laughs> like, be unfaithful them, for them to change I, I that understand aspect that. I, of the I, story. Okay, cool. I understand that. But my point is, is that in the watching of it, it, it made me upset because if you know anything about history and not just U.S. history, but world history, that's the way Earth, Wind and Fire. So that's the that's way of the, the world. world. Yeah. You got some money. Somebody is going to try to figure out a way to get you to to separate you from what you have. Right. And these folks had land that was rich in oil at a time when oil wasn't plentiful as it. And actually, oil's not plentiful now, but when yeah, oil but- was really not plentiful, they systematically did what they did. 
in this film, which Martin Scorsese brings to the forefront. Leo DiCaprio is Leo DiCaprio. He's good. Him and, and De Niro together for the first time in this film, I thought was really, really great. Lily Gladstone, to me, is the best performance in this film. Yeah. And, and when I said, even though they haven't announced Oscar nominations for, for the next three months, trust me, you'll hear her name when it's time for them to announce. I, I thought more about the movie than you did. I gave it a B plus. Um, I like Martin Scorsese. That's like Scorsese. I like Scorsese. So, <laughs> um, so there you go. So as we've got about 30 seconds left, uh, you know, on behalf of Charles Kirkland, the uh, sister behind the class, uh, the lovely Jessica. Sturgis. Whatever. Um, you know, I want to I want to say one more time, rest in power and paradise to Richard Roundtree, uh, who was a huge part of today's show and has been a huge part of what it is that we're doing. As we tell you guys every week, uh, please see something good at the movies. We've given you some recommendations until next week. Peace. Peace.